0: Good morning, village. Hey, I got one good morning back. That's pretty awesome. (laughs) Good morning, village. Thank you. It is good to all be back together here in the worship center and um, to be studying God's word together. We welcome those that are also online with us, worshiping online as we are in the second week of our, our summer series on the Psalms and developing a heart for worship. And uh, a couple things that, or one thing in particular I want to mention before we dive into Psalm 69 today, there's a table out in the lobby, and we have some Psalms journals for you. If you would like to um, have a journal, and it's just blank paper inside, but one of the things that's happening this summer is we're only going through about 12 of the Psalms, and there's 150 of them, so we are not getting through all the Psalms, my challenge to you is, if you're willing to use it, now don't take one if, if you're just going to color in it or write Dodger scores or something like that. But if, if you really want to dig into Psalms, take one and each day in your own study, read a Psalm that we haven't talked through and read a Psalm that we haven't studied through and then just take a page per Psalm. And front and back, there should be enough that you can just write the notes of what the Holy Spirit is revealing to you about that Psalm, what you see in that Psalm, but use this as your, your Psalms journal, and they're at the table in the, the lobby. Welcome to have one and just study along. Um they're not a whole punched, so you can't really put the sermon notes in there real easily, but I guess it tape and everything else that might be helpful, but um you never know. Psalm sixty nine. So we come together as a church. One of the questions that often happens when we when we walk up to each other is, How are you doing? Right? And how are we supposed to answer? Good. good. Great. I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Yes, I'm fine. Sorry, that's a song if any of you follow Matthew West. Yeah, and so we we, we have certain masks that we're supposed to wear, right? If we are godly Christians, if we are walking with God, then everything's fine. Everything's good. We're Okay. And actually, so so we as people, right, we start to listen to different clues and tone. We start to listen to different wording. If the person usually says, I'm great, and they say, I'm okay, then we're like, ah, I should talk to them later. Or sometimes we say, ah, I should avoid them later. Because we as a people don't do lament well. We don't do grief well or sadness well. We don't know what to do with it, right? Right? We don't know how to, how to to walk ourselves through it, let alone walk someone else through it. And so we come to Psalm 69, and, and this genre of Psalms, which is actually the most prevalent Psalm in the 150, a Psalm of Lament, asks questions of us that are very, very important for us to answer. Can worship and suffering coexist? Can they happen at the same time? Can pain and praise inhabit the same space in our lives? Can we be in pain? Can we be in sorrow and still praise God? Can we sing that God is good when life really isn't? And that's what this whole category of psalms, the the lament psalms, tries to answer. And I believe it's the most prevalent in the psalms because it's the most real of all the psalms of what we deal with in everyday life. Now, some of you here, I know everything is great today, and legitimately so, and you're counting God's blessings, and so a psalm like this may seem like, oh, okay, I guess it's in there, but as you come to it, study it for two reasons. Number one, for those dark times of your life that may come, but also how do you help someone else? How do you help someone else through some of the most difficult times in life, and to still praise, and to still worship, and to still give thanks To God, I also know what a number of you are going through in the room, and I pray that this morning isn't a downer morning, but like all of the songs we sang, it's a time of being real and honest with God, and then being lifted up to His promises, and who He is, and His faithfulness, and His love, and His presence. That is my prayer for you this morning. And if you're sitting there and you haven't been able to share with anyone the pain that you're going through, I pray that this morning is a morning to say, man, we're all going through stuff. Let's do this together. Let's be a family. Let's be a community. And so as we come to today's text, think through those different settings. You're in one of those settings. And and there may be a time in your life that you can even look back to and say, man, that was a dark time in my life. That's a time that I don't even know if I could identify how God was working. I'm not even sure. It didn't feel like he was present. And so we ask, how do we follow God in those times? And and the nature of the things that that come from being in a fallen world are both external and internal. We have to deal with news reports of shootings and mass shootings that seem like they're constantly coming, of bombings, of building collapses, and all kinds of wars and rumors of wars, and all kinds of other things happening that we're like, what is going on? And what's going on is we live in a fallen world. We live in a Genesis 3 world, not a Genesis 2 world. And God knows that, and He knows what His sons and daughters are going through, and He invites us to bear our hearts to Him and let Him help us carry the weight of a Genesis 3 world that none of us are capable of carrying on our own anyway. And that's what this type of psalm is about. You know, as... as as well as the external things, there are personal struggles. There may be loss in your lives. Some of you have lost loved ones this year. And there's pain with that. There's grief with that. There's sorrow with that. Finances have been a challenge for some of you. Some of you have broken hearts. Some of you have health issues. And so as a people, those are reality until Jesus comes, and we have to find a way to worship. We have to find a way to see God's hand in those things and to point back to Him and to glorify Him in all things. And so Psalm 69 is what I've chosen today in this category of psalms to, to sort of explain what a lament is and identify how do we lament and worship at the same time. Psalm 69 gives us a great example of how to deal with the reality of this really cruddy world and a life that stinks sometimes and is broken at times and how to deal with that and at the same time trust God and praise Him and worship Him and say, I'm falling apart, but I'm okay. I really am. I'm okay because of who my God is. So I want to take just a few moments and talk about a lament. And we won't do this with every psalm, but as we get to the first psalm of a particular type, we'll talk through it a little bit. Um, because we have to understand what is a lament? Um, at first I was thinking, well, we don't have very many worship songs of lament. I would say all of our worship songs this morning were of the category of lament and, and praise God that we have some that match the Psalms, that we have some that match God's Word. But a lament is simply a song to help a person express struggles, suffering, and disappointment to the Lord and then turn their hearts toward God. A lament is a song to help a person express struggles, suffering, Disappointment honestly to the Lord and then turn their heart to the Lord and give their praise and trust to God. It's honestly wrestling with our issues and struggles and not sugarcoating them and not like I'm okay. I'm good. Gotta put up my mask. I'm good. But saying I have in our Lord and Savior a place that I can go and be completely real and completely understood and be completely honest. And so to do it in a song like we have in Psalm 69, like we have in our Psalms this morning, that helps us put our struggles and and the, the deep things we feel in our souls, it helps put it into words. I mean, have you ever had a song that we sing or you hear on the radio that you're like, that's it. That's how I feel. And we can't quite put that in our own words. That's the nature of a song. And that's the power of a song of lament a song that expresses it just right, and so we weep. Because that's our soul. And so that's what a lament is. Why laments? Why Why not just say we're fine? Why not just say everything's good and, and gloss over all of the pain and suffering? And, and the problem is we live in a fallen world where that's not possible. To do that is to ignore reality and not give the hard things to God. See, we can't give it to God. We can't give our struggles to God unless we, we are open about them. Unless we identify with them. And so why lament? We start with Genesis 3. In Genesis three seventeen through 19 we have the curse. And God says to Adam, "Curses is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. In thorns and thistles it shall be brought forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you you shall return. And the result of sin entering into the world through Adam and Eve is that this world is cursed. We are struggling with the effects of sin that permeate every part of life. That every part of what we're doing, and it's hard, and it's a struggle, but God knows that, and God is the place we can go to deal with that because praise God as we'll talk about he's already dealt with it on the cross and the curse has been dealt with it has been broken and we look forward to a day where it is perfectly complete that salvation in Christ Romans eight twenty two and twenty three and I have this verse for you on the screen. This is New Testament, sort of again dealing with this fallen world and the Holy Spirit through Paul writes. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. That that's that's lament language. Groaning, pains of childbirth. All of creation. This world's a mess. So that's how we could translate that. That's the uh, not the NIV the RIV. I don't know. Um, and not only creation, he goes on, but we ourselves. We have the first fruits of the Spirit, or who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We've been saved, but we're still living in this fallen world. So we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. And so Paul here is giving the theology of the already and not yet. We're already saved. We're part of the kingdom. We, we are believers in Christ. We have that hope to look forward to. But right now, we still live in this fallen world, and the word he uses, we groan. Our our whole self is just in angst over what is happening. That's lament. That's the theological basis for lament. And and God understands that and wants to use that for his glory. I, I think I list some of the possible ingredients of lament there, and seven of them. And um, we won't spend a lot of time on these because we're actually going to unpack Psalm 69 and see like five of the seven today. But a, a lament usually has the same pattern. And as we go through the Psalms, we'll, we'll study some other ones as well. They usually have an opening address, who it's to, and, and addressing it to God, to Yahweh. And so we know the direction we're going. And then that's usually followed by a, a somewhat long, usually, expression of what's going on, expression of distress, expression of crisis um, some some people say this is the complaint and and in a in a legal setting yeah, it's a complaint I, I hesitate to use that word because we use that for all kinds of grumbling and a lament isn't grumbling and a, a lament is honestly sharing where we are with god with the effort to and the decision to move beyond that it's very different from grumbling and so i'd rather say an expression of distress or crisis Usually, it includes a number of different directions, or a combination, or one. Sometimes, it's about one's enemies and what one's enemies are doing. Sometimes, in the Psalms, the the distress, the crisis, is directed to God, and the lament is to God, and the blame is placed on God. And those are the ones we recoil on. Are like, man, lightning's going to strike there. But the Holy Spirit put it in the Bible because sometimes we don't understand God. More times than not. And that's okay to express to him. It's right to express to him in the right spirit, in the right attitude. So laments sometimes are about one's enemies, sometimes against God, sometimes against oneself. Look what I've done. Look at the sinner I am. am. And, And so this section of lament, the psalmist pours out just his complaint honestly and forcefully, identifying what the trouble is and why he's asking God and begging God for help. I mentioned this last week, but sometimes in this expression of distress is the imprecatory section. And the imprecatory just means curses, calling down curses on people. And and again, we're not entirely comfortable with that. I don't recommend it in the gym afterwards. But this is giving that to God and seeking God's justice. And we're going to see that today in Psalm 69. Third ingredient that is sometimes in a lament is a confession of sin. And actually, I believe one of the purposes of lament is to then expose the sin in our lives and to give that to God and our part in this fallen world. Because we can't look at how a fallen world has stained us and affected us without looking at our part in it. And God wants to heal that. And God wants to address that and forgive that. Then in a lament, there's usually a plea for help. In fact, in all, yeah, in almost all of them, a plea for help, a petition for God to hear, to deliver, to vindicate, vindicate. And then there's a turn. And and that turn, in all but one of the Psalms, Psalm 88, but in all of the Psalms, there's this turn to say, okay, where do we go from here? Where do we go with these emotions? And five, six, and seven are that turn. Sometimes laments reference God's past acts his past mighty acts, and this is to recall his faithfulness and who he is. There's then a profession of trust, of confidence, of assurance, a declaration of praise to God or a vow of praise, and those are often combined. And this is saying, and we we sang this, I was listening to some of our songs this morning, we sang this in over half of our songs where we say, this is hard, life is hard, but I will choose to worship. I will choose to give thanks. I will do this. And those are statements of a profession of trust. Those are statements of a declaration of praise. So that's the anatomy of a lament. That, that gets sort of the, the foundation for us to to understand Psalm 69. And so turn with me to Psalm 69 in your Bibles. And it's a little bit longer Psalm and We'll read through it, and in this case, the psalm really speaks for itself in many ways. But Psalm 69, if you don't have a Bible, there's a black one like this under a chair around you. We invite you to take one. Um, and if you don't have one at home, take that home and have God's Word. But Psalm 69 is an individual lament of David. And and so this is David sharing what's going on. And, and we don't know exactly where in his life it is. He's a little um, general in his description of what's going on. But this is one of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament, third most quoted, actually. And and so this is an important psalm for lament, but also for understanding some things that references the Messiah and the answer to the problems. Just sort of fun, the the title there, it says, to the choirmaster, according to lilies of David, or some of your translations say, to the tune of lilies of David. Now, we don't have that tune anymore, but it was probably a familiar tune to them. And so these these are just sort of fun notes that I love about music. Um, Psalm 45 has that same heading. And so these two psalms were sung to the same tune. And and they would have these notes, hey, sing this song to this tune. And some of your hymnals actually have a meter chart in the back that you can do the same thing, that you can sing different songs to different tunes. And, and that is a way of actually helping you foc- refocus on the words. And that's a little bit of what's happening here while we don't know the circumstances of David through the psalm, we know some of the things he was dealing with. And David is writing this while he's dealing with slander, while he's dealing with hatred directed to him, while he's dealing with betrayal, with physical threats, loss of family and friends who have abandoned him, with being misunderstood, including spiritually misunderstood, with injustice toward him, And then on top of it all, affliction or sickness and pain. So that's a little bit of what life was like for David as he writes this psalm. And we think, okay, if all that's going on, there's no way I can worship. I don't even know how he can. But that's the beauty of this psalm. See, the 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 summary of this morning is that David uses this lament song to pour out his heart to God, to plea for help, and to choose to declare his praise and trust in God, even in the middle of the pain. And that's the summary of what we'll see this morning. And so the question this answers is, how do we lament and worship at the same time? First verse starts with the address. Remember I said a a lament usually has an opening address. And he starts with, save me, O God. And right from the start, he goes to the right source of help. And that's why I think the opening address is important. We can skip over it and say, of course, he's going to God. But how many places do we go to when we are upset, when we are in pain, before we go to God? How many times do we seek friends first or drugs or alcohol or whatever it is? Or I'm just going to go to entertainment and watch TV and binge on that show or on YouTube or whatever because we're trying to escape. A lament says, I'm not going to escape, and I'm going to go to God. And so he starts with, save me, O God. Man, uh, th- that enough. That's, that's prayer enough. I think of Peter dr- drowning, sinking in the water. And he just says, save me. And that's prayer enough. And so David here starts with, save me, O God. He's not seeking something else to sustain him because that would be an idol, but he's seeking the Lord Almighty. And then verses 1 through 12 is really the first section of this, this, um, lament. And it's the section of, of really expressing his, his complaint, his, his crisis, his pain. And so point number one in your notes is if we're to, if we're to lament and worship well, we need to honestly wrestle with and express distress and pain to God. Honestly wrestle with and express distress and pain to God. It is okay to tell God how we're feeling. No matter how hard it is, no matter how bad it is, it is okay to tell God about that and express that to Him. Don't run from it. So let's look at how the psalmist does this. Verses 1-4 through four are sort of the first complaint. He'll have three complaints through this. He has a lot going on. His first complaint is that people and circumstances are against him and he can't hold out much longer. Read with me verse 1. It goes on to say, For the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire and there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. And he's using imagery here in those first three verses of someone that is at the end of their rope. Someone that doesn't think that they can go on. Up to my neck in water. Think flailing at the beach. Think in a riptide being taken out and you can't fight it and there's nothing you can do and you're up to your neck and and it's about to end. That's how how David felt. He goes on, I sink deep in, in, in deep mire. My feet are sinking in the mud. I think of like every every good Western from 20 years ago had quicksand somewhere in it. This is David in quicksand up to his neck. I'm seeking, sinking and there's no foothold. Do you see a lot of hope in this description? No, because he's being honest with God and in the middle of the dark night of the soul, we don't see naturally a lot of hope. And so he says, there's no foothold. I've come into deep waters. The flood is sweeping over me. The waves are coming. I don't know if I can go on. I've got nothing more. I'm done. And he's expressing the futility that he's feeling of the circumstances that he's in. He's wore out. He doesn't see the light at the end of the tunnel or it's the train. He doesn't know. His throat is parched probably with yelling for help and feeling like there's no result. In verse 3, do you catch even what he says about God? So he's upset about external things happening, but he's also upset with God. He says, my eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. And what he's expressing there is, I'm not even sure God is listening. I'm not even sure he's near. I'm yelling for help. I'm yelling, save me, oh God. And I'm not seeing it yet. God, where are you? God, where are you? And he's having a hard time in what he perceives as silence. Now, now I, I, I need to mention something because we read this and we're, we're very uncomfortable with this, aren't we? Like, how do we say this? How do we live there? And the point of lament is we don't live there. Okay? A lament expresses our emotions, gives them to God, and goes somewhere with it. And and I think we make two mistakes with lament, and and both extremes are equally as dangerous. One is that nothing is ever wrong, I'm fine, and I'm never going to tell God how I really feel, because that would be unchristian, which is hogwash. The other is to say, oh, woe is me, my life is, is done, and we live there, and every Sunday we come and tell people how awful life is. Neither of those are biblical. Neither of those are what God wants. He wants us to be real and genuine as we see in this psalm and a ton of other lament psalms. Real and genuine with him and then give that to him and and let him move us. And let him help us not live there and wallow there. But we've got to be honest. Being honest with how we feel in the hurt isn't wallowing. Staying there is the problem. And so we see then in verse 4 some of the why, some of what David is dealing with. And he's very general, I think, so that way we can all relate with it. So it's not like, oh, that's just David. He's the only one that has that problem. No, he's general because we'll read the list and we're like, yeah, okay, I can see that. And we can all put ourselves in this situation. And so in verse 4, he starts to talk about some of the stuff. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Think about just that phrase. More in number than the hairs on our head. That's a lot. And this is how he's feeling to say that many people hate me. They are against me. They have turned on me. And without cause, I haven't done anything to them. This is unjust. This isn't right. And then he goes on. Mighty are those who would destroy me. They're out to do me physical harm those who attack me with lies. How many of you like being lied about? It's fun, huh? That's what David was dealing with. What I did not steal must I now restore? And that's one of those confusing phrases, but he's basically saying, okay, I'm being accused of all this stuff. I didn't do it. And we don't know what he's being accused of stealing, but now he's having to make restitution for things he didn't even do. He's like, this is wrong. This isn't just. And this is just scratching the surface of his complaint, of his lament of what's going on. It looks as if this has been happening for, for some time, which is why he feels like he's drowning and up to his neck. And we can relate with this. The injustice, the hatred, the betrayal, the broken relationships. And so we, we echo him. How long can we go on sometimes? In verse 5, he sort of switches gears here for a moment, and he includes a verse just of, of confession, of confession of saying We mentioned that as one of the ingredients of a lament. And David, as he's lamenting this, he says, Oh God, you know my folly. The wrong things I have done are not hidden from you. And so in the middle of this, he's aware that he needs to give his sin to God, that God already knows it. And so he acknowledges his own sin. He's blown it. And that's part of lament. It should point us to dealing with our sin. So many times we use the hardest times of our life as a time to be a victim. When those are times we also need to be coming to God and saying, reveal my sin. Prune me. Refine me. Make me more like you. Then in verses 6-12, through 12, we have a second complaint, and he goes on and, and more of his distress. Uh, and, and really summarizing that is, I've tried to live for God, and it has all turned against me. Nothing I do is right. It all gets turned against me. And in verse 6, Let not those who hope in you be put to shame through me, O, o Lord God of hosts. Let not those who seek you be brought to dishonor through me. And so he's reflecting on, and some put this with his sin. Some put this just with the unjust accusations. But he's reflecting on, I'm reflecting poorly on God. If people are saying this about me and I'm following God, I'm letting God down. I'm not reflecting well on him. Now, just sort of a little nugget as in this verse. And we're going to see as he moves closer to the end, we see more and more of a change. But look at the titles for God. O Lord God of hosts, Elohim Yahweh of hosts, this is an army term, of a power term. O Lord God, you have all strength. O O God of Israel, and so he begins to instill truth in the middle of the emotion. He says, "For it is for your sake, in verse seven, that I have borne reproach; that dishonor has covered my face." I have become a stranger to my brothers, an alien to my mother's sons. And he's his family has disowned him because he's tried to follow God. For zeal for your house, verse 9, has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. It says, I've tried to put you first. I've tried to have zeal for the temple in this case. And, and it, it's all getting turned on me. He says, then when I wept and I humbled my soul with fasting, when I'm trying to do the disciplines and trying to follow you, it became my reproach. And, and the word for reproach there is to, to look down with scorn, to, to look in disgust on someone. And he says, so, so I'm weeping and humbling myself. I'm fasting. I'm trying to follow God. And, and my family and everyone around me is disgusted by me. Verse 11, when I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. And again, the idea is I became a joke to them. I'm trying to, to, to walk with God, and I'm a joke. Verse 12, I am the talk of those who sit in the gate, and drunkards make songs about me. Even the dredges of society are making fun of me. That's where I'm at, God. And it was because I was following you. Thanks a lot. And so we see just a raw, real expression of where he's at. You combine these complaints and you start to get a picture of just everything's going wrong. Everything he tries is turned against him. Nothing he can do is right. In verse 9, just just a, a fun little thing in verse 9, we see a, a little Easter egg. You guys know what Easter eggs are in movies? They sort of point to something else. Verse 9 is an Easter egg that we we know from the New Testament. Um, where have you heard the phrase, for zeal for your house has consumed me? This is something that John too says about Jesus after he clears the temple the first time. And people didn't really care for him at that moment. When he had turned over the tables, when he had driven people out. And so... This is a Psalm that has a lot of Easter eggs about the Messiah. It's about David. It's about what David was going through, but David was a foreshadowing of the Messiah. And as I look at verses 1 through 12, how do we take these? This is a worship song. Not a really fun one yet. But but I think we have to understand we need to be open and honest with God and raw with God, but don't stop there like I said. This isn't distrust. Where we end defines distrust or trust. But this isn't distrust. If I if I was to make some suggestions for those that are going through things, that those are like, man, some of this I feel like I'm drowning too. I feel like I'm up to my neck in it. I feel like I'm in quicksand take some time this week and sit and write down how you're feeling. There is something amazingly valuable about putting it into words and putting it on paper to say, God, I'm hurting right now. God, I'm angry right now. I am frustrated. I I am, I am. can't believe I'm going through this. I am hurting. And you put that down on paper. And you express your distress like David did. You express your plight to God. Not just, not just to inform God, because God's not going to take your paper and like, oh, okay, that's how you feel. But then you take that paper and you start to pray through it. You start to do the next step that we're going to see David do. Because as we do that, we're not informing God, but God is informing our hearts. God then, as we pray through that list, will begin to show us that he is trustworthy, that he is faithful. You know, I mentioned earlier that we don't do well at lament. That's why these verses are uncomfortable. That's why we, we read these quickly and say, yeah, I can relate with it, but that's not worship. No, it's worship. And, and one of the things we also need to get, glean out of this is how to weep well with others. How to lament well with others. You know, so many times we want to take someone feeling like this and move them along really quickly. Okay, that's great. I know you're hurting. Hey, but God is great and God is awesome. Let's go there. And that's the right direction and the wrong timing. Because sometimes we just need to sit and cry. And sit and weep. And say, brother, sister, I know you're hurting. Don't rush past this step too quickly. Because if you rush past the lament step, you will rush past God's faithfulness and His love and His care. Be with people. Be with each other. This is why the New Testament says weep with those who weep. The next section, verses 13 through 29, the psalmist pleads to God. And, and, and I know it's a little bit longer point, but plead to God clearly in prayer and give Him control even in your hurt and anger. This is the petition for God to hear, to deliver, to vindicate. Let's start at 13. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. And he moves. He now moves to the next step. Yahweh, as for me, I know I'm going through this, but I'm coming to you in prayer. I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you. He says, but as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love Answer me in your saving faithfulness. Now, a couple things I want you to see there. The first is, do you see him reminding himself of who God is? What phrases does he use? He uses steadfast love. And the word for that in the Hebrew, we've talked about it, is Hased. It's this covenant love that says, I love you no matter what. I will never leave you. I won't let go. You're stuck with me. And that's what God says to us. I'm with you. I'm never leaving you. I love you even in the darkest times. And David's reminding himself of that. He reminds himself of God's faithfulness, that God doesn't let him down, that God always works even when we don't see it. And so he's reminding himself of who God is. We need to use our heads and the truth in our heads to inform our hearts. We don't deny what our heart is feeling, but we take truth in theology and we inform it. Remember what I said about Psalms? They don't just, they don't just express emotions, but they mold emotions. This is where we start to mold emotions to truth. Now, there's another phrase in there that I skipped over, which is just an annoying phrase in there. And, and if you have whiteout, you can, um, no, don't, don't. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God. In the abundance of your steadfast love. At an acceptable time, answer me. And the idea here is, when it's your time, God, and not when it's mine. Do you see why that can be annoying? I want God to work on my time. I want God to work now, actually. That would be good. And the psalmist is here, he's already expressing truth, to say, in God's time. An acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love. And then he gets into the request. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. And he's using some of the same language. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. And he's honest about what he's asking. Lord God, this hurts. It's painful. Please stop it. Please take care of it. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me. Or the deep swallow me up. Or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. And he's reminding himself of truth. 17 deals with God's presence. Hide not your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Make haste to answer me. Draw near to my soul. Redeem me. Ransom me because of my enemies. And his request is for God to save him, for God to, to deal with the circumstances, deliver from the circumstances, but he also prays for God to draw near. Don't just pray for deliverance. Pray for God's presence. Because sometimes the times that you feel God's presence in the middle of the darkest times are the very precious times that will carry you, carry you in future years. And so he says, hide not your face from me. I am in distress. This is how I'm feeling. But draw near to me. Redeem me. So he asks for deliverance and presence. 19 through 21 is another distress section. And, and he goes, so this is more of point number one, but it just weaves its way through. He says, you know my reproach, my shame, my dishonor. My foes are all known to you. Reproaches have broken my heart. I am in despair I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. And so he uses words of deep hurt, like reproach and shame and dishonor and brokenness and despair. And he feels like everyone is out to get him. Again, though, God understands. In fact, look at verse 21. The word for poison there is the word gall in Greek. And you're like, okay, that's nice. Do you remember what Jesus was given on the cross? He was given gall and vinegar. And that's what this verse foreshadows again. Jesus understands. He goes through it. Gall and sour wine. So they did this to David and he's expressing it but this was actually done to the Messiah. Just a side note, as we see David bear his distress to God and then move to God in prayer, but the distress comes back, this is the way pain works. And it comes in cycles. And, and there's weeping and asking and trust, and then there's more weeping and anger, but then trust and praise, and and, and we go through cycles, and the, as it comes in waves, and that is okay. You're not going to limit once and have no more problems in life. In fact, if for the deepest pains, you're not going to limit once and completely give that to God, because we, in our sinfulness, are broken. And so we lament and we give to God, and then we confess that we take it back, and we lament and we give to God. And that's what, that's what this section says to me. Even in the middle of prayer, he comes back to the pain. Verses 22 through 28, and we need to move, move on. But 22 through 28 is the curses portion, the imprecatory portion of the cry. And this is hard because we don't sing songs like this. Let their own table be before them as a snare. Um, when they're at peace, let it be a trap. Um, this is hard words. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see. Make their loins tremble continually. Make sure they have no more strength. Pour out their indignation upon them. Let your burning anger overtake them. Help them to be homeless. May there can't be a desolation. Let no one dwell in their tents for they persecute him you whom you have struck down, and they recount the pain of those whom you have wounded. And there, there's more there of this section. But again, this is poetry. And the psalmist is saying, this is, this is what's on my heart. But really what this is, as he's doing it in a prayer, this is crying out for help and justice in very stark language. But it's crying out and saying, "Okay, God, this—I want you to to judge them. I want you to deal with the injustice. I want your righteousness to come." But it's in a prayer, and we're going to see from the next section where the result is giving it to God. See, calling down curses on someone is not what God wants us to do. In fact, Jesus did just the opposite and said, love your enemies. And on the cross, instead of calling down God's curses, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But the purpose of this in the Psalms is to say, I I am begging for God's justice, but I trust that God will do the job. And so really I see this section as a letting go to God and turning it over to God. And saying, God, this is yours. I want to jump through 30 to 36 before we enter a time of reflection and communion. Because the third point where a lament needs to go, where God wants to take us, is that we end by choosing to praise and trust in God. Choosing to praise and trust in God. No matter how hard it is, no matter how we feel, this is a vow of praise, a vow of trust a declaration. And listen to this in verse 30. I will praise the name of God with a song. And that's a statement of no matter what, I will choose to do this. Even when I don't feel like it, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. And the only way you could do that is if you are saying, I'm going through the worst of it, but I trust God. But God is with me. 31 and 32, this will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hoofs. He's, he's saying, my praise and my thanksgiving in the, in the storm, my lament turning to praise is more pleasing to God than the sacrifice of animals. And in fact, 32, when the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. And he's saying, okay, I'm going through the deep, Dark time, but because I choose to praise, because I choose to give thanksgiving, it's going to encourage others, right? The humble will be glad. Those who seek God, let their hearts revive. And isn't that the case? When we see people that we know are struggling and they choose to praise God and they choose to trust God, all of our faith is built. All of our faith is like, okay, I can face what I'm facing. goes on, for the Lord hears the needy, and does not despise his own people who are prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build up the cities of Judah, and people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. And the focus now is God is still faithful no matter what you're going through. God is still worthy of praise. God is still at work. And in the end, It's taken care of and it's taken care of right. Trust Him. Have your brain overrule your heart and trust God. And so this lament turns from the depth of despair to joy, from weeping to rejoicing by focusing on truth. It ends in trust and praise. Theology and feelings are blended together And lament and worship happen at the same time. In fact, I believe worship can be so, so powerful when it's coming out of lament. It's easy to worship when we just have the new job and the new marriage and the new car. Oh, God is hashtag blessed. It means something when you've just lost all those things. And we still can say hashtag blessed because God is my God. This topic, and I'll just take a couple more minutes. This topic, and, and you, know, you know our story right now. This topic is very real to us. And the topic of laments is very personal for us. We received Susie's diagnosis two years ago. And I gave you the, the update two years ago. And I gave you an update a year ago. And now here we are a year later. And we're still battling. And she's still battling cancer. And the chemo still happens. And it's hard. Many of you have asked, how are you doing it? How are you doing and how are you getting through? And to be real honest, laments are how we're getting through. Limits. I'd love to say, man, every day's a good day. Every day's awesome. But some days aren't good. Some days stink. Some days, like today, are pretty normal and we feel really good and, and we're, we're really happy. And sometimes we feel like we're falling apart. But we're okay because God is near. And so I ask, as we have gone through this together as a church, and as you have been such a support, lament with us. It's okay to have bad days. It's okay to have hard days. It's a fallen world. Cancer's no joke. But we practice laments, and we express our hurt and pain to Jesus, sometimes in tears, sometimes, quite frankly, in yelling "Why." And maybe you don't want to hear that your pastor struggles with that. I wasn't going to cry. But hurt and pain are real. But I've got to say, we then go to the prayer section. And we give that to Jesus. And we do this over and over and we give our worry and we give our pain to Jesus in prayer. In village, He is enough. He is enough. And He sustains, and we're doing really well. Even in the pain and even in the struggle. Because we're going to choose to praise. And we're going to choose to trust. And we cry out, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. And I challenge you to find ways to praise and to trust and to point back to God's glory no matter the situation you're in. No matter what's going on, God will draw near. He will express that covenant love to you, he will be faithful. And so the title today is, yeah, we might be falling apart, but we're okay. In fact, we're more than okay. Because our God is the one handling it. That's how we can worship and lament at the same time. I'd like to invite worship team up. and We have a couple songs we want to end with. We'll go a little bit long today. But a couple songs that we want to end with. The first, I'd like you to just bow your heads and listen to the words. Some of you are going through things and you've refused to lament and you've refused to acknowledge where you're at and that keeps you from feeling God's love and his guidance through it. And so some of you just listen to the words and do some business with God. Some of you are in the middle of it and let the songs encourage you. But we will give praise even when we weep with one another. So I'd like them to, to sing the first song we'll just listen to, pray through, and then we'll celebrate communion together and worship together and give thanks. Lord God, we praise you. We praise you no matter what our circumstances in, the good, the bad, the ugly, because you are still God, you're still in control, your timing is still perfect, and you will still be praised. You will still be glorified. God, thank you for being there with us. In your name, amen.